0: We're reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth?
1: Thanks, Vicky, for reading the passage to us. And good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel, I'm one of the pastors here. And. Really glad you're with us. We're in a series uh, that we started a few weeks ago in the parables, stories that Jesus told. And we're going to look at this through the end of 2016 and start a new series in January of 2017. So I'm glad you're with us. I'm going to pray as we get into God's Word, reminding you Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's Word endures forever. And so let's pray together. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning uh, that, Lord, you have already spoken to us in the revelation of yourselves here in the Scriptures, uh, but by your Spirit, would you bring them to life? Uh, Would you speak to us particularly, individually, corporately as a community? God, would our minds be illumined by the truths of who you are and the truths of your Word? Would our hearts truly be tilled and softened and inflamed with the truth of who you are? and would we experience you this morning. Speak to us, we pray. Remove me who preaches so that Christ, you might be experienced, that we might hear from you, and that we might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So our passage this morning uh, that Vicki just read is pretty clearly addressing prayer. It's not hard to understand that. You, you see in verse 1, Jesus tells them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart. We don't always have uh, the, the reason for the parable like we do in Luke 18. But here is very clearly the reason for this parable of the persistent widow and the unrighteous judge is that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now prayer, it, it can seem strange. If you're new to Christianity, uh, even if you've been around the church for a while, prayer can seem a little odd. We've prayed multiple times this morning uh, and we speak these words out loud to God or, or maybe we kind of internally speak these words and kind of have this conversation with God. Uh, every time, well, not every time, but we at least attempt to, uh, every time we have a meal with our family and at night before we put our two boys down for bed, we try to pray with our children. And our oldest son Henry, uh, every now and then, will kind of pray like this. He'll kind of keeps one eye open, like he kind of looks. At, he's like, and he's, and he's pretty much going, "What, what are we doing?" Like we, he's like, "We're, we're going to pray," but he doesn't quite get what we're doing. He doesn't understand what's happening. Uh, I've had several friends who were atheists and they become Christians, and I've prayed with them for the first time, and there's a confusion. Like, what's happening? Here, what, what's really going on in prayer? And we've all seen and, and heard prayer depicted in different, different ways. Whether it be through chanting, maybe you've heard prayers chanted. Or prayers of repetition, the same prayer over and over. Uh, there's the hilarious scene from the movie Meet the Fockers uh, where Greg, starring Ben Stiller, is with his soon-to-be in-laws and is asked to say grace before the meal. And so Greg prays, Oh dear God, I thank you. You are such a good god to us, kind and gentle and accommodating god. And we thank you, O oh, sweet sweet lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laid at our table today and each day by day, day by day by day. O oh, dear lord, three things we pray, to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day by day. Amen. Amen. <laughs> right. That was Greg's prayer. Right. Prayer can seem odd, but prayer also can be a place where we wonder, is is there a certain way to pray? Are there certain words that we have to say? Is there a certain place that we should go? A certain posture that we have to have? Do we have to say words like thou'st, Lord of hosts, right? Should we simply say the Lord's Prayer over and over and over, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Should we just say the Lord's Prayer? Verse 1 says, to the effect that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. To not lose heart means to be disheartened, to become discouraged. So even if you're here this morning and you kind of understand prayer or you've been around prayer, the point of the parable is that we would not lose heart and stop praying. And we can all be honest. We lose heart. I lose heart. And we stop praying. I look at the divisions that exist within our country, the divisions within our own city of Durham, and I get discouraged. If I feel like I'm failing as a husband or I'm failing as a pastor or a leader in some way, I get discouraged and I can lose heart and I can stop praying. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. And you're asking God over and over to work in some way or to give you something that you need. And there is no response. You feel like you're hearing nothing. And you're beginning to lose heart. There's an old story or fable about a tourist who was visiting Jerusalem and saw a rabbi praying to the Wailing Wall, also known as the Western Wall there in in Jerusalem. And the tourist asked the rabbi, Rabbi, what are you praying for? And the rabbi said, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for shalom. I'm praying for our world. And the tourist asked, well, is it effective? And the rabbi said, well, it's like talking to a wall, right? Often when we pray, if we're honest, we feel like we're talking to a wall. Or our prayers are hitting the ceiling and they're coming right back down. What's the point? Nothing seems to change. Nothing's happening. So we lose heart. We stop praying. So Jesus calls us to pray. The way he's calling us to pray is by telling this parable of a persistent, nameless widow and a faceless judge. Let Let me go ahead and tell you that the point of this parable is not nag God continually until he gives you what you want. Or you haven't received what you want because you haven't nagged God enough or you haven't believed enough. There's been way too much teaching on prayer like that and it does too much damage to God's people in the church. To understand prayer and what Jesus is teaching, I want us to look first at the widow. The widow reveals to us the view that we should have of ourselves if we want to cultivate a praying life. This widow is continually coming to the judge, literally pummeling the judge with her requests. And Jesus is casting this vision of a praying life, a life of unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer is the Apostle Paul's most common and used description of prayer. Listen to a, a few passages, Romans 1, to 9-10. Paul writes, God is my witness, that without ceasing I mention you in my prayers. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, praying without ceasing. When we pray and we say amen, amen does not mean we no longer pray and we stop. Amen means, yes, Lord, please, Lord, hear my prayer. Prayer should continue, unceasing prayer throughout our day. It's the type of life that Paul says typifies the Christian, yet... We find ourselves so often not praying. So Jesus uses a widow to reveal to us how to cultivate a praying life. You know, a widow was the most vulnerable in society. Widows lacked a voice. They lacked status. They lacked standing. Widows had no personal resources. And verse 3 says, The widow kept coming to the judge, continually coming, over and over and over, asking the judge to hear her request. The widow's unceasing request comes because she has nowhere else to go. She has no one else to rely upon, no power within society, no money to make things happen, so she pleads continually. Knowledge of need and deep desperation drive a praying life. Now there's nothing earth-shattering about that statement. Prayer in its very act is coming to God with petition or need or request. But there is a huge difference between coming to God like he's your genie in a bottle, as though prayer is just another way to prop up our self-sufficient life, versus coming to God like he is the Lord and you're his creature. Like he is all-knowing and you're limited. Like he is all-powerful and you're finite. Poverty. Poverty develops a praying life. I've been blessed and to be able to travel around the world to a number of third world countries. And I've been so impressed and deeply convicted at the praying life of Christians in these countries. Hours and hours of prayer. I, I really think that they would laugh and cry at how little most Christians pray here in the States. I mean, all night prayer gatherings. Unceasing prayer really is the power of the church and the picture of the church. But we think, I can tend to think, that if we have the right building for worship, or if I deliver a very insightful sermon that challenges your thinking in some way, or if, if we have the right signage out there on Fayetteville, or the right marketing in our city, or enough money in the bank, we will be a powerful force in the city and the world. Wealth, intellect, and resources. Three things that can prevent us from praying because they are three things that we can rely upon and not see our own need. We can trust them more than we trust God. Or at least our first option is to use money, our intellect, and our resources. And then if they fail, maybe we'll pray. (laughs) Listen to what Paul Miller wrote. He said, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. I'm not saying that we need to go give all our money away. That we don't need to be thoughtful and intellectual and we don't have to have resources. Now we, we may need, you may need to give more money away. We may need to question our own intellect and our thoughts and, and we may need to question our resources so that we then are in a place of relying upon God more. But those are good things. but We rely upon them all too often. Material poverty is one way that God produces spiritual poverty. A deep knowledge of need and desperation for God. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poverty that Jesus longs for is a poverty of spirit that nothing in my hand I bring. Jesus, I come with nothing. That's the key to a praying life. An appropriate view of ourselves as the widow, needy, will drive us and will cultivate a praying life. Second thing we need to look at, it's not just the widow, but is the judge. And the judge here gives us a view of God that we must hold to if we want to cultivate a praying life. Now you may be wondering, how, how is that? The judge in this parable in verse 2, neither fears God nor respects man. Yet this unjust judge, this unrighteous judge, ultimately gives the widow what she's asking for. And here's Jesus' point. If this judge gives the widow what she's asking for, how much more will our God? The judge is everything that God is not. He's evil. He does not give the widow the time of day. Yet this judge acts on her behalf. When we've lost heart, we can be tempted to think God's like this judge. And when that happens, a spirit of cynicism comes invading our hearts. We begin to question God's goodness. Deep down, if we're honest, we begin to expect like God's going to say no. That somehow God enjoys telling us no. That we believe God is some maniacal ruler, like laughing, ha ha, at telling us no. And our prayers that are just hitting a ceiling and coming back down. If, if cynical, every time we feel like we get a no, we will build up scar tissue toward God. We'll become calloused and we will doubt God's goodness. You know that was Satan's first temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden? Was to be cynical? Was to doubt that God wanted good for them? That God was somehow withholding from them? That if they ate of this tree, then they would know good and evil? It's always been a part of culture, and it's heavily a part of our culture, this cynicism. We live in a culture where we think everybody has an angle, right? That if there is a silver lining, some cloud is looming nearby. Therefore, we tend to be a people who like to observe, and then we critique really well. Cynicism builds up scar tissue, and it protects us from disappointment. So that if we don't get what we ask for, we're okay. I'm unmoved. Thought I was going to get a no anyway. But cynicism also paralyzes us from doing anything. It paralyzes us from praying boldly, from praying with hope, from dreaming to dream that God would work in ways we can't imagine. We were talking at our staff meeting on Tuesday uh, about this passage and about prayer in our own lives, and we were all sharing and asking, why don't we pray consistently? And and why don't we pray more boldly? I think a big piece is that we are overly cynical. We doubt God will work. Or we believe that our money and our intellect and our resources can be a solution more so than prayer. 18th century British evangelist George Mueller was a man of incredible prayer. He would often pray hours throughout the, the early morning and he would call it sweet communion. Mueller and his wife founded several orphanages in Bristol, England, caring for up to 2,000 children at a time. Their orphanages were funded solely by voluntary offering. The Muellers were often desperately short of money. They were always in need. But listen to one of his journal entries, July 12, 1854. He writes, Our means were now again reduced to about 30 pounds, as only about 150 pounds had come in since June 15th. In addition, we had very heavy expenses. This morning in reading Proverbs twenty-two, nineteen, that thy trust may be in the Lord, I said in prayer to him, Lord, I do trust in thee, but will thou be pleased to help me for I am in needs of means for the current expenses of all the various objects of the orphanage. And then he writes, by the very first delivery of letter, I received an order on a London bank for 100 pounds to be used for all the various objects as present need may require. Mueller has story after story after story of God providing for the orphanage. A man named Charles Parsons asked Mueller if he prayed much. And Mueller said, hours every day. But I live in a spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, I pray when I lie down, I pray when I rise, and the answers are always coming. Tens of thousands of times my prayers have been answered. When once I am persuaded a thing is right, I go on praying for it until the end comes. I never give up. I'm afraid that at times our theology, which I love, can be misappropriately applied. Listen to that. I'm not saying our theology is wrong. I'm saying our theology can be misappropriately applied. And in misapplication, what it can lead to is an overly intellectual approach of God. Where we dissect everything, or it can lead to, a, or an and can lead to an overly cynical approach to life, where we question everything. Now, perhaps the wind of the Holy Spirit starts to move in us, to move in our community, and for some reason we begin to pray boldly like we should. At times we feel like we have to caveat every prayer with, If it be your will, which is a true theological statement. But I also think it can be a protective mechanism, a way to prepare us for disappointment because deep down we're cynical and we just think God's going to say no and he's not going to hear our prayer. This judge is the anti-God and if he gives the widow her request, will not our God because our God is so much better than this judge. Our God is not faceless and disrespectful of people. Our God is almighty and infinite and good and intimate. He is almighty and majestic. We can't comprehend him. If he were comprehensible, he would not be God. But he's also intimately acquainted with you and our world, and he cares deeply. So we can approach him, and we can ask him for good things like any child does with their parent. Now, I will say, I can remember hearing stories about George Mueller in college. Maybe you've heard stories of Mueller before. And I felt like I was a nobody spiritually. I didn't have tons of stories to share like George Mueller did. So I would pray boldly. But deep down, what I really wanted was a story to share. (laughs) I wanted to be able to tell people stories about how God worked through my prayer. I wanted to be seen. And to understand prayer, we have to realize what the widow is asking for. She's not asking to be noticed, she's not asking for luxuries she asks for justice. Verse 3, give me justice against my adversary. Verse 7, will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Justice is at the heart of prayer. And here's justice. God, would you make all things right? All that is broken, would you restore and renew? Prayer is a recognition. That the world is not right, but we have a God who can make all things right. To understand this even more, we have to realize the context that Jesus is telling this parable. Luke chapter 17, right before this parable, he's talking to the Pharisees and teaching the Pharisees about the coming of God's kingdom or about the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees are wanting to know when the kingdom will come and how the kingdom will come. When the rule and reign of God will be complete on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus places this parable about prayer on the heels of this discussion about the kingdom of God. The first coming of Jesus ushers in the kingdom, and the second coming of Jesus will bring this kingdom to completion. So Jesus tells them this parable about prayer, because the disciples are going to face difficulties and challenges, Not just in the days leading up to Jesus being crucified, but in the days following. In their own ministries, in their own lives, they would experience trials and tribulations. They would be persecuted and oppressed and many killed under injustice. And so Jesus says, pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray like a widow who is pounding on the door of an unjust judge. We will face trials. Heartache. Heartache struggles we will see injustice be in recipients of injustice and we must pray without ceasing we must pray jesus is telling the disciples he's telling us this morning we're not pounding on the door of an unjust judge we're pounding on the door of a heavenly father who is good and loving and welcoming and is in the business of renewing everything that is broken about our world. So we boldly ask, God make all things right, for God to bring His justice to bear on earth as it is in heaven. And we don't know the timing of His justice. We don't know the timing of a second coming, but as I've heard many pastors say before, the Lord may not come when you want him, but He's always on time. Amen. Amen. 17th century theologian Thomas Goodwin wrote this about prayer. He says, sue God for it. Sue Him for it. Do not leave God alone. Pester Him, as it were, with His own promise. Quote the Scripture to Him. And you know God delights to hear us doing it. As as a father likes to see the element in his own child who has obviously been listening to what the father has been saying. Sue God for it. Hold God to this promise of justice here in our lives, in our community in the world, to make all things right. Ultimately, ultimately, there's no prayer that goes unanswered. No matter how hard your situation might be, no matter what you might be going through or will go through, Jesus is coming to set everything right. Seeing ourselves as the widow. And God, as this anti-judge, will cultivate a praying life. Which leads me to my last point. Persistence is the heart of relationship with God. Persistent prayer is the focus of the parable, compelling us to the true center of prayer, which is not something but someone. To be a person of persistence, it demands that we wait, that we be patient, And that's the fertile ground of spiritual growth and health. Because our natural inclination is to use God and not love God. I heard someone say, perhaps God desires to give you exactly what you've asked for, but only in a time and way that the gift can truly benefit you instead of harming you. In case you feel discouraged by George Mueller illustration, let me tell you a quote from another great church father a fourth century church father john chrysostom listen to what he wrote i prayed for many things and was not heard for even this occurs to your advantage since god realizes that you lost heart and are indolent and that when you attain what you need you depart and no longer pray god protects you with the pretext of need so that you may concern yourself with him more closely and devote yourself to prayer Listen, the apostle Paul pleaded with God over and over and over to remove the thorn from his flesh and God didn't answer. God may not answer prayers in the way or the timing that we want, but I deeply believe because of the character of our God that we will get something even better. That which our souls long for most, which is relationship with him. Jesus ends the parable. He says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is lived communion with God who's ushered in his kingdom by the first coming of Jesus and will complete it in the second coming of Jesus. So here we are living in between these times. We live in faith. We live in communion. We live in persistent prayer. Knowing our neediness and desperation like the widow and knowing the character and heart of our God who is the anti-judge, who is good and loving and just. And we trust that our God is way more persistent in His pursuit of us than we can be in our persistence in our pursuit of Him. You know, our God is a relentless lover who will never give up. He surrendered up and gave His only Son who lived a perfect life, did everything His Father said, but then would be crucified on a cross in order to make all things right. Our God will go to any length to grab a hold of us. He is the hound of heaven who is constantly and persistently pursuing you and pursuing His glory in the world, a renewed world. So as we wait and we live in this broken world, a brokenness within, the brokenness of relationship, the brokenness we see in our cities and world, we pray. We persistently pray that God would make us and our relationships and this world right. And in prayer, we might just find something better than the things we ask for. We find the very person and the very heart of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see our need. To know that we can go nowhere but to you and that you are a God who hears and listens and you are so passionate about making all that is wrong in our lives and our world right that you will one day someday make everything new and so Lord we live in between these times and it's frustrating times when we hear of deaths and we struggle relationally and we're hurt we see sickness and, and and so Lord we want you to come now but Lord, we don't know when you're going to come, and so may we press in in prayer. May we not give up. May we not become cynical. May we not lose heart. And in our prayer and in our communion with you, may we find sweet communion. Knowing your heart and knowing the person of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who longs for us to know you in the fullness of who you are, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day when we're no longer hindered, but we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.